0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to On Communication, the podcast brought to you by the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University. I'm your host, James Loss, and I'm here to bring you in-depth conversations with faculty and friends of the college. We like to talk about journalism, advertising, public relations, creative media, and so much more. Just as long as we all get to learn something new, and I am sure you will. So once again, welcome, and we are so glad you decided to join us today. Today, we will be diving into the future of cinema as movie releasing strategies are changing with the popularity of streaming. To help us out with this, I am joined by James Epler, an instructor in the College of Media and Communication, but more notably, the host of Good Day Lubbock, as well as the managing editor and the entertainment editor for Fox 34. Fox 34. James, it's a big pleasure to have you here. A little bit of a Lubbock celebrity in my booth right now. Uh, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing?
1: Good, good. Thanks, James. You have very little celebrity, like, you know, about as small as you can imagine. But uh, I do love what I do, and, and it's uh, been doing it for about 14 years now. We've had no one else uh, in the booth that's on TV, so oh.
0: relative, you are the celebrity here. Yeah, where
1: where is the camera? I don't see... Uh, I'm used to being on camera. No, <laughs> this, is, this is good. Well, today James is going to help us talk about the current
0: state of the movie industry because with the effect of the pandemic, we're seeing a big shift to the online kind of double-release style of movies, and it seems to put a stress on movie theaters, not only because they were closed for I mean well close to a year
1: many of them still are
0: yeah exactly so that and I mean we saw AMC almost go down and there was that weird um like trend to buy stock in AMC and then but um so yeah there's a lot going on here we're gonna try to unpack it but um first of all I'm kind of just curious as a consumer how do you feel at the moment about streaming a movie that has just come out
1: I, personally in terms of the pandemic it's been extremely easy it's been convenient because my family's taken the pandemic pretty seriously we've stayed home and we've enjoyed our family time together so the opportunity to watch new movies and especially during oscar season you could watch nomadland and judas and the black messiah all streaming easy to see um But I'm an old soul, so I wanted to get back to movie theaters as soon as possible. But the thing is that we, even though it's been a long year and a half, we have to remember that even before the pandemic hit, 2019, movie theaters weren't doing very well. They were already kind of on a downward trajectory, some of them having to kind of rethink their business models in terms of, okay, people have such good technology at home now. They have big screens. They have projectors. They have great sound systems. Why even go to a movie theater anymore? And so a lot of theaters, especially here in town, had tried to make their movie theaters feel like living rooms. Uh, all of them had been retrofitted with lounge chairs where your feet go up and you can have a full meal and stuff like that. So even though the, I think the pandemic has accelerated something that was already going to happen if that makes sense
0: yeah it does make sense and how do you feel about those the the lounge chairs and the dinner and the movies because i can't if some sit in front of them- and behind someone that like has a hot dog in the
1: movie theater, like, that drives me crazy. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't eat a full meal uh, <laughs> usually. I think a pizza is okay. What I've never understood about movie food is when did we decide that giant pickles were movie <laughs> food? Because I see the giant, uh, you know, jugs up at the front. But then every you don't want to be the person sitting next to someone who has the pickle because you just can't smell anything but pickle. so
0: you can't smell anything and you can't hear anything yeah. I mean I do love those I'm just gonna be honest but I'm not gonna get one in a movie theater like there's a difference yeah it's so it's not I,
1: a movie snack i I
0: don't accept it as a movie snack that's all <laughs> but so in terms of streaming, it seems like so we're talking about being a consumer right and mm-hmm. you call yourself an old soul and cuz you do like going there but then also there's the upside of being in your living room your own comfort you can pause it if you have to and stuff like that on the monetary side when you're re- when these studios are releasing the double release you can go see it in theaters or you can i think Disney plus like you you're you're subscribed correct and then you also have to pay like $20 to watch this it's movie it's 30 usually 30 which
1: i mean when you think about some of these movies how much does it cost you to go to a movie theater to see something probably $10 a ticket average yeah you take you and your partner, maybe if you have a kid with a, it's a Disney movie, assuming you have just one, you're paying 30 bucks to go see it at a movie theater anyway. Right. So I think that price point makes sense. Um, but I think that the the problem here is studios had to kind of decide, we we have all this food in the refrigerator that's going to go bad. So we have to find a way to get these movies out there, get them seen, and try to make something off of them. So it made sense for them to do this model. Now, what Warner Brothers did was a little different from Disney. Disney said, we're going to give you our movies on Disney+, Plus, but we want $30 extra. Warner Brothers this year decided, uh, no, if you're a subscriber to HBO Max, it's all included. And every new movie we put in theaters, whether it's a giant release like Godzilla versus Kong yep. or... You know They're doing Suicide Squad, and everything out this year is going to be in the Heights also is going to be in theaters and HBO Max. That's not a model that I understand as well because you're not going to make as much money off the product on streaming. Now, they are trying to build up those streaming service numbers. I think they see the writing on the wall that Netflix changed everything. Um, Martin Scorsese recently said that streaming movies – and the way we watch movies that's the biggest change in the industry since sound. So when you think about it, what he means by that is the the whole business model of movie theaters hasn't changed in 80 years or something, you know? Yeah. What I mean, you release the movie, then you had home video back before the 80s, you couldn't watch a movie at home easily. Video VHS changed that. You had to wait for it to be re-released in theaters or shown on TV. So now when you have this situation where Okay, I can go to see this thing in the movie theater, or I can pay 15 bucks a month for HBO Max and have all of it. Um, I, I, I don't see how that, that is as beneficial to the studio, at least in terms of recouping the costs of making a movie. It's also something that filmmakers and actors are not as happy about. Yeah. Say you've got a big actor like Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise, he used to make $20 million a movie, right? But now it's, you know what, Tom, instead... We're going to give you a smaller paycheck, but give you a percentage of the box office. That way, if the movie sucks—and Tom Cruise movies don't suck. <laughs> let me just throw that out there right, right now. This man jumps off buildings and hangs off helicopters for your entertainment. Yeah, uh, They don't suck. They're great, the Mission Impossible movies. But if they didn't work, then he would just get a smaller cut of the box office, right? Yeah. And the studio can protect itself. But now, on streaming, it's— you're not getting that box office number. Because just think about think about it, you're paying fifteen dollars to your household to have that account. Right. You're not paying $10 a head to go see it in a movie theater. So it's it doesn't make sense to me in the long term.
0: So are the actors they do get a cut in
1: this streaming model? They they get pennies on the dollar. I okay. mean it's very small. And that's, you know, and that's even for big name actors. So And and on top of that, these filmmakers like Christopher Nolan, for example, Christopher Nolan does not want to make movies for streaming. He wants, I mean, he would not allow Tenet his most recent disaster. I hated it. I like Christopher Nolan movies. I never saw it. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, (laughs) You can skip that one. I thought (laughs) I thought it was a nightmare. Uh, And but he would not allow them to put it on streaming and was adamant. Nope, this is a movie made for the big screen. And a lot of directors feel that way. But you have guys like Scorsese, Steven Spielberg just did a deal with Netflix very recently to make some movies for them. These companies are flush with cash—Netflix, Amazon—they have the money to spend. The studios, not as much these days. So the attraction is there to get these big-name filmmakers. I like what you
0: said about uh, Nolan, like holding out, like I'm not gonna put this on streaming. Like this is a in-house experience it has to have because john krasinski did the same thing with a quiet place too that was supposed to come out like i think february or something like that it was
1: march of last year i march, believe right. and they had actually already started screening it for critics right so yeah. a lot of people got to see it last year but then got pulled from theaters and they just waited
0: i think yeah and so the example of that and because i saw i haven't seen the second one yet but the first one i mean that i agree that's just something that You're not going to get the same experience if you watch that at home simply because, you know, a quiet place is a very special exception because half more than three quarters of the movie is mostly silent. I mean, like dead silent. And they use that sound very well. And that's something that's really hard to replicate outside of a movie theater. Which is why, personally, I'm scared for movie theaters to go away. Mm. Because I just, I enjoy it. Kind of like you said earlier about being an old soul or whatever. I don't know if it's really even that old. I think st- this whole idea of putting your movies two places at once, such as HBO Max does, right? I mean, Godzilla vs. Kong, that was on HBO Max at the same time it was in the movie theater. Yep. I mean, this is extremely new and there's a lot to unpack here. I just...
1: I'm with you, and you do pick up more detail on a big screen. When you're just, it's easier to get lost in a movie when it's on the big screen. But the other thing about a movie theater, James, is when you buy a ticket and go to a movie theater, you're making a commitment. I mean, you're you've 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 taken the night, you've taken the time, you've driven to the theater to right. buy a ticket and go through the whole thing to sit in the dark and watch this. And of course people walk out of movies sometimes if they suck. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, I mean, even if you don't like the movie or it's not going great, you're sitting there. You're you're committed. You've bought the ticket. So the problem I have with streaming is everything is so disposable it seems like. All of this art is here and it's and it's so much by the way, like which yeah. can be a good or bad thing. But on streaming and when you're watching it at home, it's not the same commitment. Because at any time, just like, this sucks. Uh, my control's right here. I'm going to find something else. Right. And you can just bail when, you know, committing to a piece of art, it can still surprise you. It can A movie can start bad or slow and then take you a surprising place. But because we have this attitude now of I need to be – I need entertainment and I need it right now and I need constant stimulation or I'm gone – Yeah. I hate that. And I think just you ask about the consumer. I think the way that movies are even being written and produced, and even TV shows too, for streaming services, we're in this binge watch mentality where it's constant cliffhangers, it's constant kinetic action to keep us watching, right? To keep us on the couch. Yeah. Movies, I feel like. The ones I see made for these streamers with the exception of maybe The Irishman, which is three and a half hours because, you know, yeah. I, I want it to be three and a half hours Martin Scorsese. And, and uh, Netflix is like, yes, sir. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. I went and saw it in the theater, by the way. Just, wow. I wanted to. That's a commitment. Three it and is. a half hours in the movie theater. <laughs> I did have to go pee in the middle of it. I admit it. I mean, but three and a half hours. I mean, come on. Yeah. But at home, it's a different thing, James, because you can just be like, eh. What else? What else? Some, right. Something else is on here. And I, I don't like
0: that. I agree with you. And I like what you're saying about the kinetic, the constant something's happening, something's stimulating us. I recently watched uh, The Devil All the Time.
1: Have you heard of that one? Yeah, Tom Robert Holland Pattinson and, and Robert Pattinson. Yes. Exactly. It's a very dreary, difficult picture.
0: Yes, it is. It was a lot to get through. But it was it's that slow burn and you have to let things develop and take things in as they come. And I I had a lot of friends who turned it off within the first thirty minutes because yeah. it wasn't what the trailer had maybe portrayed, you know, where Tom Holland has this gun and Robert Pattinson's screaming a lot and like they think it's gonna be some kinda, you know old, not, it's not a Western. I mean, I think that they're like the thirties, 1930s, something like that. But you know, a lot of action, a lot of stuff like that. And I was like, I was like, dude, just sit there for more than an hour and you're going to see some good stuff.
1: Yeah. We've just (laughs) been conditioned differently now. Right. It's, it's, oh, this isn't what I was sold. 30 minutes. I'm out because there's no commitment there. And I just, I feel bad for the filmmakers, but On the other hand, a movie like The Devil All the Time, which is a small movie, Mm -hmm. may not draw a big crowd to a movie theater to go watch, maybe because of the names who are in it. But the fact that it was streaming and available that way makes it more readily available to people who maybe will take a chance on it. And so hopefully for every person who bails on it after 30 minutes, five more might watch to the end and it'd be a really rewarding experience. So... Maybe there's hope there.
0: So you think that maybe the smaller studios, the indie producers, they might capitalize more on this trend, the switch that we're seeing?
1: Potentially, if they can get Netflix or whoever buys their movie, if they can get the support in terms of promoting it, like Marriage Story a couple of years ago, the the Noah Baumbach film, which is just a a movie about a divorce, but it has good leads in it, but it's a small movie – um, Netflix really put a lot of energy behind it and it was, you know, a, a, a good hit, I think for them, there are other movies that kind of turn up and, um, you just never would have heard of it if Netflix hadn't run an ad on Instagram or something like that. So I think when there's something good there this year, for example, I'll tell you a movie I saw just cause it showed up in my feed. Mm hmm. Concrete Cowboy. Oh, yeah. I love I love have you seen it? I haven't seen it but I know a lot of people talked about it. Right. So, it's a super small movie about a very specific group of people. For those who don't know, it's on Netflix again. Idris Elba is the big name in it, but he's a minor character. It's about a group of black cowboys in northern Philadelphia. And this is modern day, but a group of people who have held on to the cowboy lifestyle. They raise horses, they take care of them. I didn't know this group of people even existed. It's not a documentary, but it's a, a lot of the people in the movie are actually from this community. James, I wouldn't have known about the movie unless you know it had just popped up in my feed because, hey, you like Westerns. There's a movie with the name Cowboy in it. Right. You, and we know you've watched Moonlight three times, so uh, <laughs> the algorithm says you should like this, too. I did very much. So I think there's a positive there. Yeah, they got,
0: you, uh, they got us pinned down when it comes to the algorithm and what you want to watch. Oh, it's scary. <laughs> uh, that brings me back to a former episode with Dr. Arif where we talked about artificial intelligence. And, man, they just – they watch everything. But back to our conversation, and I guess there's almost – we're kind of s- discovering right now there's like two different worlds to this whole streaming and movie thing. There's the one where it's like Netflix originals, right? We're talking about it's Netflix puts a lot of energy behind it, and it's only on a streaming service. Mm-hmm. But then there's the HBO Max style where godzilla versus kong or mortal kombat those those are the most recent ones i can think of where they were on both services at the same time right so i'm not really uh, It's kind of like you said earlier i don't know how the latter model the two at the same time can really
1: benefit studios or actors i don't think that it's going to be the long-term solution Mm -hmm. um i think it is hey there are people who are ready to go back to theaters now and there are people who are not ready to go back to theaters yet. So yeah. we can still try to build up our numbers for HBO Max and provide valuable content there. But for those who want to go back to movie theaters, we want to support theaters, too. And not everybody subscribes to HBO Max, right? I mean, yeah. or may not have the Internet capability or, you know, whatever the, the, the situation may be. You'd be surprised how many people just don't subscribe to that stuff. And while subscription services certainly boomed during 2020, a lot of them have started to taper off. People have said, "Okay, I had four streamers last year, but I really only need these two. I I don't want to keep up with paying four different bills every month. So maybe they go to the theater and they watch In the Heights or Suicide Squad next month because, well, I got rid of HBO Max. I want to go back to theaters anyway. So maybe that can survive this year, but it's certainly not great news for theaters yet.
0: Yeah, I feel like eventually a lot of those platforms are going to condense, right? Because I remember being in high school and Netflix was really picking up. The streaming life was really picking up. And a lot of people in the industry, a lot of scholars were calling it the golden age of television, right? It's going to become the golden age. You're going to have access to all this stuff. But as a consumer, you know, kind of a through line of this conversation, I feel like I'm losing a little bit because I have to keep people keep dividing. And people keep making their own thing. You know, uh, Netflix used to have all those TV shows at once and they lost Park and Rec, they lost Office, they lost Friends. They just keep losing things because those studios. Going, Everybody's
1: got their own service now, Peacock and, exactly. and CBS and everything else. Yeah.
0: And now I feel like it's going to be some kind of like rubber band effect. Like They stretched it too far and it's going to have to come back at some point.
1: Well, I think you could. I mean, there are a lot of people like myself. I've gotten rid of cable Mm-hmm. There's just uh, if it's not football season, I don't have cable, yeah. so I cut the cord more than a year ago, and I just stream exclusively now. And so yes, I I have four streaming services, and I pay you know less than forty a month for all four of them, but I was paying a hundred for cable, so. If you want to watch reruns of stuff, like I mean, okay, I I grew up watching Friends. I'm I'm a you know I was born in 1982, so I, Friends was on when I was in, <laughs> you know junior high and high school. <sighs> Just da- I dated myself there. <laughs> but the thing the thing that I see a problem with in terms of content is there's so much. Back when Friends was on, for example, we were all watching it every Thursday night. We watched it together as like a society and you go to work Friday morning and talking about what happened on friends or Seinfeld. Um, now nobody's really watching the same thing because there's so much on. I think the last show that maybe we all watched together was game of Thrones. Yeah. That was a show where if you weren't watching it Sunday night, you better just be offline the next day because it would be ruined for you. So you had to be there Sunday night now I don't see a show really that is like that because everybody's just kind of doing their own things. And if you start talking about something that you're watching, somebody's always bound to say, oh, whoa, 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 don't, don't say anything. Yeah. I I haven't, I, haven't finished. I haven't gotten there yet. Yep. And it's just like uh, we can't even have really good conversations anymore about art because there's so much of it and all at once.
0: There's something new on Netflix like every day that I want to watch. And I mean, being a grad student and being a worker, like I don't I can maybe watch like a couple weekends on or a couple movies on the weekend. Yeah. But I just feel like there's no way I can keep up with all that stuff. And. If more platforms keep doing like so, there's a bunch of Netflix originals. You know, I don't know if Hulu has a whole lot of original movies or
1: they do. Um, they're really building up their content because now Hulu is primarily, I think Disney is now the majority owner yeah. of Hulu. But you do have some things on there, mostly original series like Modoc, for example, is a new thing yeah. that Pat Oswalt did, which is really funny, by the way. It's a <laughs> he's a it's an it's from the Robot Chicken people, but anyway, they do have some original stuff on there, but they also still have all the broadcast stuff. So there's another reason you don't really need to watch, you need to have a cable bill.
0: Yeah, you know, so maybe maybe I should retract my earlier statement about the golden age because it, I mean, if there's just endless content if that's what you want if that's if you have the time to consume like all these different originals and whatnot then you really are in the golden age I mean you you don't have to wait for your show to come on you don't have to browse all these channels like you know where it is you know when you can have it and you can have it right there
1: I think the Golden age is over I think we're in the glutton age there you go means which I, I thought of the when I thought of the Golden age of TV it was when the sopranos happened, and we suddenly had a different type of TV show than we'd ever seen before with a different kind of hero than we'd ever seen. And the Sopranos begat Mad Men and Breaking Bad and shows like that, the Americans. Yeah. Where the heroes were anti-heroes and the TV shows that were being made, Ozark is, you know, in that same vein. The shows are made to look like ten-hour movies, right? That production quality is high. You have big actors in it giving award-winning performances. I think that's pretty much over, and now we're just in a, in a in a glutton age when there's just there's just so many shows, and it's great for the actors and writers and all that stuff, but for the consumer, it's incredibly overwhelming.
0: Yeah. So you think it is good for the actor? Because I feel like maybe like. The, the A-list will kind of just get like chopped down because it's going to be hard to reconcile, like, oh, this guy has done so many great performances if they're just the content is so spread out
1: Ask her the A-listers I mean they (laughs) look they've been A-listers for a long time Brad Pitt doesn't need any help he's fine you know what I mean right but you don't think there's going to be another generation like you don't think it's kind of just going to be oh everyone is everyone in the actor world I think you'll have some breakouts and people like someone like Jordan Peele for example yeah who was you know broke out on Key and Peele which is a hilarious show but then makes this masterpiece this classic get out and all of a sudden, he's the the new... he's. Not, I, w- I hesitate to say he's the new Alfred Hitchcock. He's the first Jordan Peele. Oh, yeah. So I, I get the comparison, but I, he's doing something different. So you'll have people break out, but it's been a while when you think about it. When's the last time a movie opened solely because of the star power? I mean, I guess Tom Cruise can still do it, but that's more on the strength of Mission Impossible, the, the property. Now, all the big movies... Fast and Furious and the Marvel movies and the DC movies, it's all intellectual property. It's not so much the actors, I think, that are selling the tickets. I mean, maybe you could argue The Rock, Dwayne Johnson can open a movie, but it's the yeah. type of movies he's making right. that would probably do well in with any number of actors in that role. So I think we've moved away from... Hey, that, that actor's great. I'll see him in anything. And more toward, Hey, I know that property. I saw the first two. I'll go see this one.
0: I think the only actor personally, because I agree with what you're saying, actually, I tried to think about it. I was like, Oh, what's an actor. And Tom Cruise was the first one that came to mind. But even then, I think that, uh, just the movie itself, right. Mission Impossible, you know, there's going to be crazy stuff going on. That's what draws you in. But I think personally, the only one for me would be like Matthew McConaughey. Like that dude is just entertaining in anything, and I want to go see what he does with each role that he
1: has, right? True, but he doesn't, his movies aren't huge money makers, you know, and the types of movies he's making now have very much changed from, you know, the stuff that he was doing back in the early 2000s and stuff, you know, the romantic comedies and stuff that did open big and on the star power of, you know, him and Kate Hudson or him and. Sarah Jessica Parker. Now he's making smaller more I mean Dallas Buyers Club of course he won the Oscar for that, but uh one of the best movies Matthew McConaughey has made to me in the last 10 years is a movie called Killer Joe and no one's seen it. I have not. <laughs> it's it's it was an NC-17 rated movie based on a play actually, but it is a violent like corrupt sick movie about this uh, he plays a a an officer in it who's just uh, a madman. And it's a brilliant film, but nobody's seen it. Hmm. It's Matthew McConaughey, though. Why not? (laughs) Uh, And so that's what I mean. Like Someone like him can do a a really crazy movie, interesting, but the interest may or may not just be there.
0: So do you think that movie would have been more widely
1: seen and spread if it had been on a streaming service somewhere maybe yes um and when that came out um i mean netflix was a thing when that came out i mean it's just been about probably six years ago or something but it was an nc-17 rated film a lot of theaters won't show nc-17 rated movies um so there was there was also that but yeah maybe if a streamer like netflix had promoted it right away perhaps but um yeah, it's a tough film for sure. Interesting. I might have to go check that one out. Yeah. Because uh,
0: Actually I thought of another one while we were talking. Nicolas Cage. I oh. have to see that dude in anything just because you know it's gonna be crazy.
1: Yes. And, <laughs> and and the thing is, the Nicolas Cage of now is not necessarily the Nicolas Cage I grew up with back in the, you know, eighties and nineties. He made dumb movies, but they were big. Like, Con Air is the dumbest movie ever, but it's super right. fun. Right. Face Off is like an idiot masterpiece, <laughs> Like, but it's fantastic. And he won an Oscar, for God's sakes, for leaving Las Vegas. Now he is in so many movies, mm-hmm. but they're all like movies you would find in at, at Walmart in the in the DVD bin for 3 Yeah, you know those know ones I mean? are all just like
0: stacked on top of each other. But it's there are just, some gems in there. You're yeah. right. What was that latest one he was just in? Um, with like the animatronic
1: like- Oh the with the the theme part? Yeah. I forgot what it was called, but he has one coming out called Pig. Pig that looks pretty insane too. Interesting. So Yeah, so
0: as crazy as all like his stuff gets and whatnot, I think it comes back to a good point we've been making, is there's a really a market for pretty much anything and yes. streaming gives those markets the ability to thrive. Whereas when we were living in the age of only movie theaters, like, I mean, it was just the big hits that were
1: thriving because they were the big hits, and you had to go watch them in the movie theaters. So, and that's still kind of the case. I mean, the Marvel movies—that's that's what gets people to the theater. Like, I want to see the Avengers on a big screen, right? right? But a smaller movie, it's like, do I really need to see Nomad Land on a big screen? I would argue yes, just because of the way it's shot, but okay i'm a i'm a I'm a theater supporter right and I will always choose in normal circumstances to go to a movie theater because I do think it's such a better film experience even for a a small indie, but for those guys, you might get more eyeballs for streaming so I mean there's there's good and bad about it,
0: yeah, so so I, I came into this conversation uh very kind of disgruntled about the whole dual release thing because yeah. I mostly watch movies alone, if not with my roommate, right? So in, in that case, I'm the only one – well, either one of us are paying for a streaming service. We'll either watch it on his or mine, whatever it is. But so Disney Plus, for example, I'm paying – I think it's $9 a month or mm-hmm. something like that. And it's I, worth
1: it for The Simpsons alone. <laughs> the think.
0: Simpsons alone, um, huge Star Wars fan right here. So Mandalorian, all that stuff they got coming out, that's sure. I'm completely worth it. But then, like I said, the $30 on top. So that's what kind of had me like disgruntled. Like, you're going to make me pay $30 when I could go get a ticket for 10 $15 in a movie theater? Sure. But- there's, you know, I'm not the only person in existence. There's people like you who have three people in your family and you can pay $30 and it is the equivalent or less actually than like three movie tickets, depending on how much the kid's ticket is. Now,
1: in in fairness, I haven't actually paid for a movie ticket in probably about, let's see, about 20 years because I started reviewing movies here at Texas Tech back in my undergrad, back in uh, 2001. And movie theaters here have passed me in for free since then. So, but, but for, so for normal people, yeah, it still makes sense. I think to pay that 30 bucks, if you got a family of four, Hey, I mean, we, we can make our own food here and save that money. And if we don't care about the big screen experience, yeah, that could work. Now, what is happening? I don't think that the dual release thing is going to continue. I think that's going to be for the rest of this year, maybe some of twenty two, but not much. And I think you go back to theaters first for the big releases, but I think the window is going to be shorter for big movies to open, like say, you know, Fast and Furious the new Fast and Furious Twelve, right, <laughs> whatever yeah. it's gonna be. Ridiculous. It'll open in theaters for, you know, a month and a half, two months. And then they'll make it available for streaming. Now it may not be on a streamer like HBO Max or something, but you may be able to rent it for 20 bucks and watch it at home that way. So the the theater, the window theater, the window from theaters to streaming is going to stay short. But frankly, once Avengers or something's open, I mean, after about four weeks, it's run. Like it's people, everyone yeah. who wanted to see it has been. And unless it's just got a movie, unless it's a movie that just has legs, you know, like Avatar back in the day, you know, these or or the latest Star Wars, um, they'll play for, you know, a month because fans will go back and rewatch them. But more, more often than not, after about a month, it's played out. So it makes sense to put it on streaming. The question is, are people going to keep going to the theater or are they willing to be patient and watch it from the comfort of home for, you know, 20 bucks?
0: I think yeah, that's, it gives people options, and I think that's. So I am surprised to say that, or to hear that you think it's it's gonna like just fizzle out, kind of, because um, the options. But I don't think it. The studios really give a care about the options for the consumer they want to maximize the profit
1: right so and and just do the you do the math i mean it costs more you make more money off of theater releases mm-hmm. than you do off that one subscription because when you factor in okay somebody has an hbo max subscription for their family and then they share their password with their parents or right. their kids or whatever yeah. right so you're losing money there too yep. so you can't really share a movie ticket the same way so i think once once we really get well and truly past this pandemic, you'll see movies open in theaters. If if most of them are able to survive, and I think they will. Anyone who claims to know the future of what movie theaters are going to be, I, I think they're just they're making stuff up. I will tell yeah. you what I what I hope and what I think is that. If this pandemic has taught us anything, it's to not take little things for granted, like being able to go to a movie theater and buy popcorn and sit with your family. I think people are anxious to be able to go back to that. So hopefully theaters can benefit from people wanting to just get out of the house again. Right. Yeah. Um, And so that's what I'm hoping because. As of this recording here in Lubbock, Premier Cinemas and Cinemark are open already. Uh, Alamo Draft House will be back soon, but it may, it is going to be well into 2022 before they really can recover because it was devastating last yeah. year. They didn't have any, any even the theaters that stayed open like Premier in Lubbock closed for a little while. They didn't have much to show. Yeah. So now that we're getting Black Widow and you know we'll get James Bond finally in the <laughs> fall, right? Um, hopefully these hopefully theaters can really start to get some momentum again
0: yeah th- th- I mean the whole topic of this conversation was born. the idea to have someone here and talk about this was born because during the last year it was so people were so certain feeling so certain that movie theaters were goners just because I mean, like ninety percent of businesses in the world at the time they were closed and they weren't bringing in zero money and people were like, oh well, streaming is here as well and you know, like, why do I ever have to go back to a movie theater? Well, because of what you just said—the experience going in there. Maybe you want to go to the lounge chairs. Maybe you want to get one of those big pickles. Whatever you want to do, but <laughs> that's the experience. And after a year and a half of living this way, yeah, it's it's getting like itchy under the collar, and you want to get back there. So I'm I'm I
1: hopeful. I mean, that's my hope. I don't know that that can happen because maybe we've un- you can't unring the bell of direct delivery of movies to your TV. Yeah that's a hard people have gotten in the habit of it and it might be a hard thing to get them out of that habit but what i'm hoping is that movie theaters can come back like i said 2019 they were already starting to have the downward trend but maybe in some weird way the pandemic will be good for them in the long run and remind people, oh yeah, we don't want to just sit home all the time. It's great to get out of the house and to have a shared experience. Have you ever watched a comedy, like a good comedy in a packed movie theater? Yeah, It's great mm-hmm. for everybody to be laughing at the same time and just that, that shared community uh, of a co- great comedy in theaters. It's it's a different thing to watch at home. I might yep. not even laugh at I might think something's funny when I'm watching at home, but I don't often laugh out loud in my living room. Yeah. But in a movie theater, you get caught up in it. And I just hope we don't lose that. Yeah,
0: I think one of the most uh memorable moments I have in a movie theater is I mean, and I'm not a huge like Avengers nerd. I'm not like a big like comic books guy and you know, so I can't really attest to like what it meant to a lot of those fans in that movie theater, but um in Endgame, whenever, uh you know, Captain America finally holds oh, I know the moment. Thor's hammer. And yes. I mean the whole place I was in, they went crazy, man. The yes. whole, the whole place just erupted. And I was like, that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, I hardly understood it. Right. I didn't know like, that was gonna, <laughs> I didn't know that was going to be a huge thing because I had even missed like, I mean, I don't know the first two Avenger film. I had to I'd do a lot of catching up. So I had no idea that would be a huge thing when it happened. I was like, okay. So like, that was cool. <laughs>
1: that, that, that's a great moment. And there hasn't been one that I've experienced like it in a the movie theater in a long time. I think maybe, you know, when the episode one Star Wars movie came out in 99,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it was the first Star Wars movie. We're, we're spoiled now. We have Star Wars everywhere. everywhere. Back then, we didn't have anything since Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And so when the symbols crashed at the start for the the theme, the theater went nuts. What? Why would we not want that? I know. Yeah. You know, that shared experience is too valuable. And I, and I hope people have not forgotten that over the last year and a half. I got one last question for you, James. Sure. Can't think about it. Gut answer. Favorite movie. I will tell you my favorite movie, the one I've watched the most, is The Big Lebowski.
0: The Big Lebowski.
1: Coen Brothers film from the late uh, late 90s, uh, I believe 98, with Jeff Bridges and uh, John Goodman. And I've watched it. I mean, people say, oh, I've seen that movie 50 times. I've literally probably watched that movie at least 36 times. (laughs) Um, It is... I'm a Western fan. I I grew up watching Westerns with my dad. What the Coen brothers did with The Big Lebowski is married the genre of Westerns with detective movie with stoner surfer movie. Right. And the dialogue is rich. The characters are so well drawn and it's probably the most quotable movie of all time next to maybe Anchorman or something like that. Anchorman, yeah. But I think that when you, it's such a, it's such a perfect thing. And is it, you know, is it for everyone? Probably not. It's a weird movie, but I love it completely. Have you ever written movie critiques before? Because that was that was eloquent. Yeah, well, <laughs> I did. I started here at Texas Tech uh, when I was here. Oh, my, you actually have. Okay. When my, in my undergrad in 2001, uh, I noticed that the University Daily at the time, the newspaper. Yeah. Hey, they don't run movie reviews. Maybe they'll just let me write them and I'll even do it for free. And so I wrote a couple samples. I have a, a, I was friends with the Avalanche Journal film critic in town, and he wrote me a letter of recommendation, and they hired me. I wrote for the paper all four years, nice. and that's what I went to school for. I wanted to be a film critic yeah, and wanted to write for a newspaper. But guys, sometimes your dreams don't quite turn out how you expect. Um, so my advice would be, I got out of school in 2004, and no newspaper would hire me, certainly not hire a kid as a film critic. I mean, (laughs) not when the internet has, is littered with imitation critics. Of course. But I ended up saying, you know what, maybe I'll try TV because, you know, I want to be in media. And I took a, I got a job as a producer here at Fox 34 in Lubbock. And they're like, yeah, we'll let you be weekend producer. And tell you what, you can do a movie review. You can review movies too. And not long after that, we started the morning show, Good Day Lubbock, in 2008. And I've been the managing editor for that show ever since. And I review movies every week. Like, you can go on the website now. I I, I reviewed In the Heights. I reviewed, you know, the little things this year. And so, yeah, I do movie move reviews on TV now. Now, I'm passionate about news. I'm a newsman first, but I still have a, a this thing for movies. And so do what you have to do. Because it might often lead to you getting to do what you want to do as well.
0: It'll make you a celebrity in Lubbock. Even if sure. even if he says he's not one. <laughs>
1: isn't that our isn't that our goal? Doesn't everybody <laughs> want to be a celebrity in Lubbock? No, but